Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our School of Music today. That was great. We enjoyed it. And good singing today. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. Sunday morning service. We are in Psalm 16 as I'm preaching a series of messages through Psalm 16. Last week, if you joined us last week, we did a review, I did a review of the whole book of Psalms, I mean, basically how it's put together and why we have it and how different authors wrote it, mostly David, of course. Today, we want to come back to Psalm 16 and begin here in this messianic psalm. It's a prophetic psalm of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's a prophecy about him. You remember these words, I want to remind you, that twice this psalm is quoted in the New Testament. Once by Peter on the day of Pentecost, he said this, Therefore David, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, and then he quotes verse 16 of our psalm, that his soul was not left in hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter says specifically, this is a prophecy of what Christ said, and he quotes him in verse 10 of our, of our psalm. Then Paul, in Acts 13, on his first missionary journey, said, Wherefore David said also in a psalm, and then he quotes again, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption, quoting verse 10. And so the fact is that uh, this uh, psalm, Psalm 16, may be a prophecy of everything that Jesus said. As a matter of fact, I, wrote, I read many good authors this week, and many of them, most of them, uh, said that if if the words of verse 9, 10, and 11 are the words of Jesus, then the whole psalm must be the words of Jesus because it never changes throughout. For example, John Gill said it this way, Since there is but one person speaking throughout the psalm, and Christ is he that speaks in verse 10, and which cannot be understood as David nor any other person but Christ, the whole of the psalm must be interpreted of him. And so we want to keep in mind as we go through this psalm, even today in the first uh, couple verses, we want to keep in mind that uh, this, is a, this is a psalm of what Jesus said and what he would do. And we want to be able to, of course, to apply it to ourselves. As a matter of fact, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction. So even these prophecies of Jesus... Even the words vary of Jesus uh, can be profitable to us. As a matter of fact, that is exactly what David is going to do in this psalm when he says this is a psalm of David. And though it's a prophecy of Christ, he even uses these words himself to encourage him and to teach him about his own prayer. I love uh, Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, it's a great chapter about the deity of Christ. But the author, in writing Hebrews chapter 1, quotes nine different psalms that speak of Christ and quotes them in one chapter in Hebrews chapter 1. 
And so basically, that's what happens with this chapter. It's quoted in the New Testament as coming from the Lord himself. Well, our words begin this way. And by the way, you see the title right at the top, a miktam of David. And then he says, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Let me ask you this. How many times have you prayed and you've said something like that? You said in so many words, Lord, help me. Lord, preserve me. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Lord, you've got to give me strength. You've got to help me through this. How many times have we all prayed prayers like this? And sometimes not just for ourselves, right? But for others, for our people that we love, for our families, our kids, for uh, our friends, and, and different ways that we have prayed this. So, that's what we want to look at this morning. Now, you notice as you open uh, your bulletin, if you, if you have that in front of you, you have an outline there, or if you're looking on the screen, you see it to the left, that basically I'm going to take two main thoughts, and they come from the first two verses, but of the Hebrew Bible. So when you look at Psalm 16, you see the words, a miktam of David. That's the first, those are the first words in the Jewish Bible. And when you look at the Hebrew Bible, those are in the first line. And then the second line is, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. And so basically I'm taking what amounts to two verses in their Bible, but in our English Bible they like to put those first ones as a title and raise them up above the first verse. Now you may also have other words there from a study Bible or something like that. Those aren't the same. This one begins with a miktam of David. So we call that an, an inscription. And from that, you notice uh, on the outline that I call this statement the circumstance of prayer. This is a miktam prayer. This is a certain kind of prayer that David is praying. We want to talk about that for a few minutes. And then in what we call verse 1, here's his address. Here's what he says, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. So go back with me to that, that word miktam. It's an interesting word. It, the, the, the translation of it would mean to dig or to carve or to cut out, even to engrave. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Something you dig out, something you carve, something that's precious to you, that, that is a treasure. As a matter of fact, uh, Luther translates this, the golden psalm, and the, the Hebrew interlinear that I have uh, translates it, a secret treasure of David. Now, the, the Jewish people translated their Bible into Greek uh, in the second century B.C., and they put the word, they translated it, stylographia, that is, something engraved on a stylus or a statue. It's kind of like a landmark, they would say. You put this here, you engrave on it, and that becomes your secret treasure. Interesting, isn't it? People translate this in so many ways. One, one commentator even said uh, that word to dig means also to cover, as if David was covering his lip saying this is a secret prayer. This is something I have to pray just myself that no one else will hear. It's kind of my treasure of prayer. 
kind of an interesting use of this. Well, with that thought, uh, I want you to, to notice this, that this word miktam only appears over a few of our psalms. And the other, besides this one, you have to go to Psalm 56. Turn there if you can to Psalm 56 through 60. And I want you to notice these five times that this word appears in five other psalms. And they speak, all of them, of something he was delivered from. So back in 16, he's going to say, now preserve me, Lord, protect me, deliver me. And in these psalms, beginning in 56, 57, 58, 59, and 60, you'll see that word miktam at the, at the first line, and in no other psalms, only in these. Notice uh, as you read 56, a miktam of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. All of that is in the first line of the Hebrew Bible. But notice how the, the psalm begins then. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me. O most high. You see his cry for preservation. Look at 57. A miktam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. You see, very similar type of crying out for God's help. 58, a miktam of David, simple statement. Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. Number 59, a miktam of David, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. All of that is in the first line of the Hebrew Bible. Deliver me from my enemies. Oh my God, defend me from those who rise up against me. You see how how he's, he's crying out for refuge and strength. And then in 60, a longer uh, intro, a miktam of David for teaching when he fought against Mesopotamia and Syria and Zopah and Joab returned and killed 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. <laughs> of a long introduction, a long inscription. Oh God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. Oh, restore us again. Those are the other places where we have miktam. So when we go back to, to 16, when we go back to Psalm 16, and we say this is a miktam of David, what are we saying? We are, we are saying this is something David has dug out, has treasured to himself, and is saying, Lord, I need to pray this before you. Some would even say he covered his mouth so that this was his secret prayer. Lord, you've got to help me here. I need your help. And I'm saying to myself, how many of us have ever prayed like that? Do you remember Jonah's prayer? Jonah is in the whale of the belly. Can you get any lower in the bottom of the sea in, the, in a whale's belly? He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. He answered me. Out of the belly of hell I cried. 
and you heard my voice. Now that's, that's a Tom prayer. That's a prayer of desperation. Jeremiah, when, when the Babylonians came in and took his people captive and killed so many people and dragged them off to, to, uh, to Babylon, Jeremiah 8.20 says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? A miktam prayer. We find these uh, very often throughout the scripture. And so I call this first the A that you have there, the distress in prayer. This is just when there are distressing times. You know what I believe? I believe there are a lot of miktam prayers in Ukraine today, for example. I have friends there. We support uh, four Ukrainian families uh, in Ukraine. I know them all personally. They've been in my home here. I've been in their home over there. And, you know, just a few months ago, I would read their prayer letters, and it was all upbeat. Boy, services are good, and people are coming, and we're preaching, and we're doing this, and we're having camps and outreaches and everything. And then the invasion began. And now when you, when you read their prayer letters or when you see them online, it's from the heart saying, oh, pray for us. We need God's help here. We need uh, to have strength. And those same people are staying there in their churches, ministering to their people. But you hear that miktam prayer now. Save us, Lord, and help us and defend us. So I'm saying, first of all, there's, there's just times of dire distress and maybe there have been in your lives uh, where you have to pray this kind of prayer. Secondly, I say that there's also a personal distress, and that's why David puts his name on this and on all of these miktam prayers. A miktam of David. This is my prayer. Now, even though I think David is aware that he's quoting what the Lord Jesus Christ will pray and what he's saying and throughout this psalm, he's saying, it's my prayer too. I want to remind you of a couple things, and, and I'll turn for you, but that's okay. In Psalm 56 that I read a minute ago, the title was, A Miktam of David When the Philistines Captured Him in Gath. Well, you have to go back to uh, 1 Samuel and uh, chapter 29, and I turned there and uh, kept this for you. He's, he's, taken, he's not taken prisoner, but he has to dwell with the Philistines for a while. David said to Achish, what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of the Lord? What have I done in your sight that you would do this to me? That's David's prayer of Miktam at that time, back in Psalm uh, again, and uh, this time 57, when he fled, a miktam of David, when he fled from Saul into the cave. Do you remember that? When uh, uh, he was in the cave, Saul was looking for his life. Well, when he was running from Saul, 1 Samuel 20, verse 1 says, Then David fled to Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, that's Saul's son, what have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And then in verse 3, truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is a, but a step between me and death. 
there's just a step between me and death. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? <laughs> you ever thought there's just one more breath between me and death? Who knows what God has? Or have you said in front of your enemies, what have I done to you? What have I ever done that, that makes you feel this way toward me? And here David is praying uh, and applying it directly to himself, I think. You remember Jonah's prayer? You remember Hannah praying before God and she, she covered her mouth. She covered her lip and prayed just to herself. Oh, Lord, if you'll give me this child, I'll give him back to you. Naomi's prayer and Ruth's prayer when they came back into their own country saying, Oh, Lord, make us a way. Give us a place to live. Give us an inheritance again in your land. I remember Jesus praying all night. It's always amazing to me when you read the Gospels and here's Jesus, the Son of God himself, and he has this need to go up into the mountains by himself, and often it says he prayed all night. I pray for five minutes and get distracted. I pray for five minutes and get tired. And the Lord, who certainly didn't need to pray as much as I need to pray, prayed all night. It just kind of puts you to shame sometimes, doesn't it? Here's the, here's the and by the way, that's not to speak of Gethsemane, right? Oh, Lord, you know, great drops of blood, not my will, but thine be done. Here's the church praying that because James and, and Peter are taken prisoners and they're praying, Lord, deliver them. Well, James gets killed and Peter gets delivered. And yet that's the church's prayer for them. And Paul will often say in his books, Here's, you pray for this and you pray this way and you pray like this. And by the way, pray for me that God would give me a voice of utterance and God would give me boldness to speak his name before the Gentiles. All of these kinds of prayers are personal distresses that we have to pray. What are yours? I remember once when I set the neighborhood on fire and I prayed. <laughs> I mean, I started a grass fire and it was going right toward my neighbor's house and I prayed. And you know, I, there's nothing I could do about it and the wind was blowing the fire over that way. I've told you that story, you know, my neighbor stood at his fence with his hose and said, well, welcome to the neighborhood as he's spraying the fire, you know. I've done that before. I, uh, I have prayed for my college-age kids when they used to drive from Colorado across Kansas to Missouri and my girls and old broken-down Honda Accords driving off to college, you know, no cell phones or anything. I remember praying a lot of prayers in those days. They seemed like distressed prayers to me. Now I have grandkids that are teenagers, and a lot of them will go through those years, and I pray every day and find myself praying for their protection and for what they're doing at this time. Well, personal prayers of distress, I think you have them too. So a miktam of David gives what I call the circumstances of prayer. So let's look at verse 1 then that I call the, what is the address then? How do we address uh, God, and how do we uh, make an address for these kinds of prayers? It's kind of like, how, how, what address do you put on your letters? <laughs> you know, how, how do you address them? Here's how David did, and here's how the Lord evidently would do. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Notice uh, I have the what, and then the who, and then the why, simply. So what is the what? Preserve me. Take care of me. This, this Hebrew word has that 
familiar idea of make a hedge about me. Remember that kind of uh, expression? Make a hedge around me, Lord. Make a block for all the evil things that would come and get me. It means to guard and to keep and to watch. Some have likened it to the, the kings in those old days would, would sit on their throne, and around the throne stood his watchmen, his guards. No one could approach that throne. No one could come close to the king because he had set a guard. He had set a watch around him. Or others likened it to a shepherd or shepherds around the flock. Here are the sheep. They're vulnerable animals. They're out in the open. There are wolves everywhere and predators everywhere. And so the shepherds would guard or keep the flock by surrounding it and, so, so to speak, making a hedge about it. Again, when the Jews translated uh, this word, they used the Greek word philoso, which I'm pretty familiar with, which also means to guard or to keep. Let me give you a couple New Testament references. Here's, here's Paul in his last letter uh, to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. For this reason, he said, I also suffer these things. He's in prison and he's going to be beheaded. For this reason, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep. That's right. Philoso. He's able to preserve me, he says. He's able to preserve me and keep what I've committed unto him against that day. Paul uses the same word in his deepest distress. He will preserve me. I know he will. Jude, in the, the last almost verse of his small book, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling or stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is able to keep you and he will keep you. So this idea of preserve me, O Lord, I remember Jesus uh, and his prayers in the New Testament. Remember the, these words in Hebrews 5, 7, where the writer says of Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his godly fear. He cried, the Lord himself cried out to God, preserve me, O Lord, and God heard him. I remember also his great prayer in John 17, which is no doubt his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says to the father of his disciples, I was with them in the world. I kept them in your name. Those that you gave me, I have kept. Twice he uses this word. I've preserved them. I've kept them. And the Lord prays that for you, and the Lord will keep you also. Nehemiah Nehemiah was a cupbearer to, to King Artaxerxes, the, the king of Persia. And Nehemiah wanted to go in and ask the king if uh, his people could, if he and his people could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. The king Artaxerxes sat there with his thumb up like this. <laughs> And when you talk to him, if he went like this, it was off with your head. If he didn't like the way you smiled, if he didn't like your breath, I don't know, if he didn't like anything about you, you were done. Nehemiah 1.11 says, O Lord, I pray 
Please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then he says, for I was the king's cupbearer. You don't go in before him frown, with a frown on your face. Help me, Lord, preserve me as I have to do this. Daniel, when he was delivered from the lions in the lion den, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 27, he and Darius are praising God for delivering him. And he says, he delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Exactly the same word. He's preserved me from the lions. Because God does this, and God will do it. And one more again with Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 again. He says, At my first defense no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me, and listen, strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, secondly, I was delivered out of the mouth of a lion, very similar to Daniel. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Preserve me, O God. The, the Old Testament uh, saints, the New Testament saints, use these words of the Lord that David records here in a special way. So how do you make that prayer? How do you pray? You know, I have three cancer patients. I saw your heads come up. You didn't know I was a doctor, did you? I have three cancer patients, and I don't mean that I'm a doctor. I mean that I pray for them. And I, and I pray for a number of people that have various illnesses, but I have three special friends, all of them have cancer. And to me, I, I go before the Lord and say, now, Father, Mark here, who is also a grandparent of my grandkids, and I say, he's got cancer and it could take his life. Give him his life and then give him his health too. I, I look at that as my patient. If I don't pray, maybe he won't get well. If I don't bring him to the Lord, who's going to preserve him? And then I have a pastor friend, uh, and I, I go to the Lord before Doug, and I say, Lord, here's a, a wonderful pastor. You've met Doug. He stood up here on this platform once and prayed for us. He's got cancer. He could take his life. He's in his 50s. He's got good years left uh, in a great church. He's been there for 30 years. And I say, Lord, give him his life and give him his health and bless Lori and Josh and all the kids in that great church. And then I have a pastor friend here in Kansas City, and his wife Irene has cancer. And if his wife is taken from him, it's going to hurt his ministry so much. And I say, Lord, save this lady and take her cancer away. To me, these are prayers of preservation. These are miktoms for someone else that I'd go before the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, here. And I, I look at them as my cancer patients. I really do. I, I speak that way before the Lord, I guess, sometimes. But, but we need to. As much my concern as, as anyone else. What is yours? How do you pray those miktam prayers of, Lord, preserve me, Lord, preserve him or her, my kids, my grandkids, my mom and dad, whoever it may be? I know you all pray that way. So here uh, is the what that we pray, preserve me, and here is the who 
that we pray for. Notice my, my Bible divides these up with commas. Does yours do that? Preserve me, comma, O God, comma, for in you I put my trust. So let me take that second little phrase, O God. Who do you pray to? Do you understand who you're praying to when you're praying and asking for preservation? I want you to notice something. We'll skip ahead one verse just so you see the breadth of, of his prayer. God, the word God, Elohim, is the, is the creator, the mighty God. Uh, when you see that G-O-D in your Bible, that's the word it comes from, Elohim. But notice verse 2, oh, my soul. <laughs> I love that expression. You have said to the Lord, with capital letters, Jehovah or Yahweh. You are my Lord, capital L, small O-R-D, Adonai. He, he uses, in this, these two short statements, every name for the Word of God, or that is, proper name that he has. And he includes them all right here. You know who else did that? Daniel did that when he began to pray in chapter 9, which will end up in, that, in the 70 weeks of Daniel. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confessions and said, O Lord, great and awesome God. He uses all the names uh, for God here. O Lord, he says in verse 19, O Lord, O Lord, listen and act, my God. This is the way godly men would pray, and they address their prayers to the Lord. Now, you are, you are in Psalm 16. If you go back to your left to chapter 7, chapter 7, or Psalm 7, let me show you a few expressions that David is using. 7 and verse 3, O Lord, my God, if I have done this. Do you pray like that? Do you go before your God and your Lord and, and speak his name? Look at, at, at uh, Psalm 10, a little farther ahead, and verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, do not forget the humble. Look at 13 and, and verse 2, or, or 3, I mean. Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, enlighten my eyes. David is using all of these kinds of prayers. And one more, in, in 17, beyond our chapter, in 17 and verse 6, he says, I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God, incline your ear to me and, my, uh, and hear my speech. You know, sometimes I think that we hear so many people today take the Lord's name in vain, and it pierces my ears, I don't know about you, when I hear that done, that sometimes I find myself not being very bold with the name of my God and my Lord, not taking him in, in vain, but rather entreating him in prayer. And we shouldn't let the world take that away from us. Here are the biblical speakers who, who do this, in, in, and they do it humbly before God. Jonah, again in his prayer, said, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up from the pit. And then he says, O oh Lord, my God. 
and praise to him boldly that way. And again, Daniel, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your name's sake. We need to use the Lord's name when we pray like that. Jesus did. In Luke 22, you remember uh, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and, and uh, three of the Gospels record this, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but thy will. Father is our New Testament name. That is what the church knows Jesus by uh, and knows God the Father by. Father, let this cup pass from me. He prayed that way. You remember uh, also in 2 Corinthians that here, here is Paul uh, saying, yes, we had the sentence of death. on it. Well, let me come back to that verse. Let, let me say this verse. I, I love the, the writings of John Bunyan. And uh, if you've read anything by John Bunyan, you've read Pilgrim's Progress, right? But my favorite book by Bunyan uh, is uh, Advice to Sufferers. And if anybody, if anybody suffered, uh, it was Bunyan in, in prison and so forth. And Bunyan based that whole book, Advice to Sufferers, on 1 Peter 4.19, which says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. He addresses God as a creator. You created my circumstance. You can uncreate my circumstance. You can do whatever you want in the future with me and whatever is good and whatever is pleasing to you, not my will, but thine be done. He prayed when he suffered to a faithful creator who is able to create any circumstance he wants to create. And he hears our prayers when we pray and does that. So here's utter dependence on God, utter dependence on, on the one who creates, the, the Lord, the heavenly Father. And we see all throughout the Bible the great saints of God praying and using this name. How do you pray? How do you address God? Who is the who in your prayers? We live in a world that uses his name in vain, and that is all. They don't know him. They don't understand him, but we do. We know what kind of a God and what kind of a Lord he is. Sometimes, sometimes God has to bring pain into your life to teach you how to address your heavenly Father, to teach you how to come to him and say, oh, God, Lord, I need you now. And so this is the who of our prayers. One more thing I want to say, though, and that's the why. And that's the last phrase, for, that is, because. In you, I put my trust. I put my trust in you. Jesus, when, when he prayed, uh, said, This is eternal life, that, you may, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. In you I put my trust. Here's what Paul said I was going to read a minute ago. Paul was, Paul was stoned and left for dead. Anybody in here been stoned and left for dead? We, is it, maybe beaten within an inch of your life, that's basically what it was, and yet he lived through it. He said it this way, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not, notice this word, trust in ourselves but in God. What does our verse say? 
in you I put my trust. Here's Paul saying at that time that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust, he says it again, that he will deliver us. Here's the great apostle saying uh, this. And then in, in uh, 1 Timothy 4.10, he had said, To this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. Do you trust in him? Is this where your deliverance comes from? Let me draw this to a, a conclusion by trying to put it this way. Trust means believing. You've heard someone say, I trusted Christ as my Savior, Right? Uh, that's a good expression because believing means to trust. Believing isn't just in the head. Believing is in the heart. Believing is in the will. Believing is saying, I trusted the Lord as my Savior. So trusting, believing is faith as well, right? So, so Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't come to God without faith. And so I'm saying this to you. The ultimate test of trust is when you die. Will you go out into eternity the way you are? Your money won't help you at that point. Your fame won't help you. Your abilities won't help you at that point. When you die... It's your trust or nothing. It's your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or nothing. What greater prayer, O oh Lord, preserve me, because in you I put my trust. I've told you before, I've stood at the bed of many people who have breathed their last and watched them go out into eternity. There's a world of difference between those who know the Lord and those who don't who can say, I'm, my, I'm in the arms of Jesus, I'm going to meet him. Do you have that trust? Do you have it in your, in your life? I hope that you do. John Doan once said, death comes equally to us all and makes us all equal when it comes. We'll all be there. You brought nothing into this world, Paul said. It's sure that you can't take anything out. We'll all be equal at that moment. And then I thought of this verse in Jeremiah where Jeremiah says, if in, a land, if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the crossing of the Jordan? You're so safe, you think, in this land now. What will you do when you have to cross the Jordan? What will you do when you have to cross to the other side? Will you have trust at that point? And so I'm saying to you, you know, Maybe somebody would say, you know, my, my prayers kind of seem ineffectual. God doesn't really answer them and do much to me. Well, maybe you can't talk, and talk to him as father. Maybe you don't know him as God and Lord and Savior. If you would come to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and receive him as your Savior, then you have a father to pray to. You have a God to say, preserve me. I put my trust in you. And when you come to that moment of death, you'll be able to say, oh, Lord, I'm in your hands, and I trust, and everything is good. Knowing him as Savior makes all the difference. And if you know him as Savior, your prayers now will all change, I guarantee it, and will be effectual and fervent. 
and avail much. Stand now with me, if you will, as we've thought about these words in Psalm 16. And just beginning in this psalm, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we sing a song. Let's uh, search our own hearts and ask Him to, uh, to help us to know how to trust Him. Father, thank You again for the words of Scripture. Thank You, Father, for being so precise with us. And Father, we all need preservation. We all need help. First of all, Father, we need eternal life and to know that we have it. And so I pray, Father, that there's someone hearing my voice today or wherever the gospel is preached that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that they would come to him in faith today. And then, Father, those of us who do know, make our prayers effectual. Make our prayers Tom prayers. And help us, Father, to be able to address you truly as God and our Father and be able in trusting way to say, preserve me from these things. So, Father, bless now as we sing and as we apply these things to our hearts. And I pray that there's someone here that needs to make things right with you, whether their soul or their life. I pray that they would. We'll thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our invitation is always open as we sing and immediately after the service also. Uh, if you have a need, meet me at the front or immediately after the service. You do what the Lord's laying on your heart as Gordon comes and leads us in the song.